Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mike Lynch. What's going on? This is Rashad. This is the Sports Sunday Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It is now brought to you on the fan by your local Les Schwab Tire Centers. Doing the right thing since 1952. Weekends were made for sports. Now do the robot voice. I want to hear it again. Meet more sharp robot. That's a terrible robot voice. A look at the weekend in sports with the inside story on the Blazers, the Ducks, and the Beavers. Everyone, meet freelance alien bounty hunter Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp? The football guy? Yeah, I hunt aliens now. Used to catch TDs, now I catch ETs. You ever caught an alien, Shannon? Not yet, Mr. Question, but I'll let you know when I do. This is Sports Sunday with Mike Lynch. Where are the turtles? Where are the turtles? Come on, guys, get out of here. Where are the turtles? And Rashad Taylor. Nobody calls me Lebowski. You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude, man. On 1080 The Fan. Hour 2 of 2 here on Sports Sunday. Mike and Jesse with you. Rashad is out in Los Angeles uh, today. He'll be back next week. Les Schwab Tires podcast where you can find the show if you missed any of it and want to listen back on the radio.com app. Uh, it'll be uh, up on the 1080 The Fan Twitter as well after the show. Coming up, we got uh, Hater Love It at 1030. I want to talk a little bit about baseball coming up next segment. But quickly here, as we have a little bit of a shorter segment, I wanted to throw this in there because it was a car thought that I had on the way into the show today. Thinking about uh, James, I... Holzhauer, whatever his last name was on Jeopardy and how much attention he got and how big of a story that was and thinking about how all the game shows are coming back and being redone with with new hosts and put onto the main channels again and I, I am someone who goes I go through phases with game shows where I remember I want to say I was like 17 years old or something in one summer vacation from high school I I spent maybe three straight weeks only watching the Game Show Network because I found out that we had it, and I just got hooked, and I just kept going back for more and kept going back for more, and then I stopped watching it, and then I didn't watch game shows for a while. I go through phases with it. And my, my question was, what about a game show is so fascinating to us as Americans or humans or whatever you want to say, what other, whatever section of the population you want to put it on? Because the interesting thing is I, I understand why people like trivia, you know, it's a little bit of an ego boost. You get to use your own intelligence, and if you get it right, it feels good. But you're also doing that yourself. When you're watching game shows, someone else is going for the prizes on questions that you have no impact over. Sure, you still get to see if you get them right, which I guess is probably part of the reason you like it, but you're just watching other people do that. 
Um, and I, I was curious as to what about game shows is so addicting for people that we just get so fascinated by the winners and the people who do well. And I, I, I don't know if I can really pinpoint an answer. I think for me, some of it is just playing along with them and it's still an ego boost, even if you're not on it, but I don't know. It's weird. There's I mean, the it's definitely the play along factor. I think, you know, uh, it's in human nature to get excited when um, you see this build up to somebody getting a big win. I think it, you know, that there's a lot of live um, drama that is dictated based on the person playing the game. So it's, it's not this pre-written story. It it's live. It's it. You know, you have somebody winning and crying on the stage. That's real. You have somebody losing and crying on stage. That's something that's real. So it, it I think to us, it, it's one of those things that you can still look at on TV and go, well, that's that's real. That's that that could be your neighbor for all, you, you know, you know, and that that's kind of exciting. We got this text earlier in the show when I first brought this up as a tease. So game shows are basically gambling. Uh, another reason it should be legal. Let's make a deal is most obviously gambling. The others involve trivia usually. Right. I was thinking of Deal or No Deal in this because Deal or No Deal has no trivia. It is purely luck-based, mm -hmm. and yet you could watch that for three straight hours without realizing you just watched it for three straight hours. And it's because there's that inherent risk that the person playing Deal or No Deal is taking on by not taking a deal and hoping that their suitcase has the right amount of money. For those who don't know the game or don't haven't have never seen it, you pick a suitcase that you think is going to have a million dollars in it, right? Every suitcase has a different amount of money in it, and then you eliminate suitcases as you go, and then they open it and show you how much money was actually in that suitcase, and you get offers based on how much is left on the board. It's literally just gambling. It's really fun to play at the arcades too, and all it you is. win is. I mean, it's it's kind of funny because for tickets. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, but you're right. I think that's a good, that's a good text. It's just gambling. People like the idea of gambling. Um, and it's risk-free gambling. If you're just watching right. it on TV and you're not obviously feeling the same emotions as, the, as them, cause no real money's on the line for you, but there's still some emotional tie to it that keeps you involved. Well, I mean, it's kind of that same concept. You go to a casino and I'm not a big gambler, but the moment you walk into a casino in Vegas, you start hearing those lights and you'll hear some people like, you know, maybe a, a whole craps table explode and you're just like, what's going on over there? I want to go check out what's going on over there. It's just, it, it's exciting. And you, you get to tap into that energy. And I, I mean, in a way you get to kind of tap into that energy through the TV as well. This text uh, says real life drama, people like us, kind of, <laughs> I, I do think that is, it's the kind of is important, especially in the really good trivia ones like Jeopardy. I'm not like any of those people right. on there, um, but uh, we got this text that said, I watch Jeopardy more to test my own knowledge than to marvel at theirs. Love that show. That's from one of our P1s, Chris and Portland. Um, yeah, whenever I do watch Jeopardy, I do love guessing along as the categories come. And you, you, you get really excited when Alex Trebek reads the categories and you see three that you could know. Right. It's like football. You're like, yeah, I could do well on this one. Some sports category. And then you'll, you'll see like art history from the 18th century. And you go, welp. I'm out. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to know one of these answers at all. I think that is true. But I do think some people watch that show to marvel, right? James, people were watching James, the guy who just lost on Jeopardy, to marvel at him and marvel at the run that he was going on. Well, right? and the, the fact that he had, despite the fact that this show 
been on for decades now, uh, that he found a different way to play the game than everybody else, and that it was he was successful at it. And um, it was a risk to play the game the way he did, but it, it was a risk that paid off. And typically, the higher the risk, the higher reward. And like you said, he was able to to do what he did in about what sixty less shows. Yeah, so, I think it was. I think Ken Jennings was seventy some shows, and I think his was thirty, so forty less shows. 40 or 50 less shows, yeah. But, it's I mean, it, to, that's big risk, big reward. They do that in a lot less time to to um, get, earn the winnings that he, beat. he he won off of that. And it that's fun. But the, the the guy that's your neighbor is the guy that's on the price of right. And that's the one I think that you and I are talking more that's about. That's again, too. Yeah, it's like that is just literally we're just guessing. We're just guessing prices here, and then we're going to spin a wheel. And so what – What's so fascinating about that for us? You're guessing prices of things that are at the stores. But I, uh, old DJ over at KGON now down in um, like KZAP down in Sacramento, Bill Prescott. If he doesn't, if he's not there to watch it, he DVRs it every day. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. The uh, yeah, that, that's the thing. There's the two types of game shows, right? I guess there's kind of three or four now. But you know, trivia, which I think we enjoy because we want to try to guess along. Right. And the gambling one, which we just talked about, is you get that thrill without having to lose any money. <laughs> so I think that's probably why we like them so much. And I was just, I, I was honestly just trying to find a real answer for myself because in the car I was thinking about it and I was like, why are we so obsessed with these things? That's why. It's people like us. Trivia is fun and gambling's fun. Right. <laughs> and it, there's there's no risk when you're not on the game show, so you can kind of do it. And if you're wrong, oh well, that sucks. I didn't know that answer. You're not losing money based on being wrong. All right, coming up next, I feel attacked on Twitter today about baseball. I'll tell you why. This is Sports Sunday on The Fan. Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Wake up this morning, scrolling through Twitter on my phone in bed, and I received this notification at 7:47 a.m. from one Sergeant Thunderfist MD on Twitter. That's Big Suit. Feeling very, very passionate at 7:47 in the morning as I'm groggily waking up. The text is, "Hey, I'm Mike Lynch, 27." Or the tweet, I should say. Good thing we don't have automated strike zones. Otherwise, this great part of the game would be gone, right? Seems like a totally legit call. He quote tweeted someone who posted a picture of what was called a strike against the Mets, his team. It's clearly a ball in the other batter's box. And uh, we've had this conversation on on the show before, on primetime before, where I'm very old school baseball guy in a lot of ways. I, I'm I'm kind of in the middle, I suppose. I'm, I like some new things. I'm certainly down with changing the game for the better and getting more people interested. But part of me really enjoys a lot of the old school stuff. And to me, that includes the human element in the game. And Suk, now that he knows this, is going to passionately fight against me every chance he gets when this comes up, including at 745 in the morning <laughs> on a Sunday, uh, throwing, throwing some tweet shade at me. But I won't stand down from this opinion because I really honestly believe it. Human error is part of the game. It is part of sports. There will be bad calls in games all the time. 
There was one against my team the other day that was hilariously bad, but it, that's part of it is it was kind of funny how bad it was. Angel Hernandez, who's known as one of the worst umpires in baseball, literally missed a strike right down the middle and called it a ball because the catcher moved his glove in a weird way. And then that lat next pitch or at bat led to a two-run home run. So it, it it screwed my team too, and it sucked, but it was kind of funny and part of the game. You know, it's I enjoy the fact that some calls are wrong. I think it adds an element of intrigue to the sport. You know, you got to figure out what the umpire's calling that day. You know, it adds a bit of controversy to a regular season game in June. It adds a talking point for people who love that team or love that sport to talk about at a bar that next night. Can you believe, did you see that missed call that Angel Hernandez had? Do you see how far outside that pitch was against the Mets that they called a strike? It kind of, it adds, it adds something to the game that I don't want to be removed. I've always been someone I've kind of, I think I've probably changed my opinion on replay once or twice, but I, I've, I've kind of settled on this in the last couple of years. I think some replay is necessary for obvious missed calls in all sports, you know, a touchdown that didn't get counted or a home run that went foul or something like that. It's an easy call. It's a, it's not a judgment call. It's, Oh, ball went over the line. Okay. That's a touchdown. I, I, I like that in some aspects in sports, but where I stop liking it is where every single little detail has to be really, really, really looked at and called correctly. Because to me, it slows the game down. You lose some of the spirit of the game. Um, you lose the human element, which I like, like I said, I do enjoy as much as some people might think that's a ridiculous statement to say, I enjoy the human element. And if we move further and further away from it, the extra spirit of the sport, I think kind of slowly, slowly starts to fade as well. And it just becomes sterile, which I don't like at all. And that includes robot umpires and or for the strike zone. I don't want every single pitch to be exactly correct. I don't want that. I don't want every call to be correct. I like that there's mistakes. It's it, human. It's, it's human, and sports are human. It's nice that every game the pitcher has to adjust to the umpire strike zone. It, it makes every game a little bit unique that way. That oh, this this ump's gonna call the strike zone a little tighter than than most of them, or this guy's a little looser with the strike zone than most of them. It, it makes for it, it gives the batters different challenges every game. Like. If we want robots out there umpiring the game, let's just throw robots out there playing the game as well. Because taking, I, I think you nailed the word, the spirit of the game away is by by taking away the human element out of the refing. You're you're taking away part of the spirit of the sport. Like you might as well take the human element out of the players as well. Because the fact is, is you're asking players. Um, you're asking the umpires to players play in the in a perfect world where the umpires don't have to. I guess is what I'm saying, right? Yeah. If 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 it was, it just doesn't make sense. You have the human element on the player side. You should have the human element on the ref side. Refs are going to make mistakes. Players make mistakes. That leads to different outcomes in the games. And when you eliminate one of those things, it it uh, it, it's almost like eliminating half the yin and the yang. Yeah, and right. I think and I think too, you might not notice it immediately, right? I think let, let's just say hypothetically they decide to to put the robot strikes on it, which I think they might be even implementing already. Right. Uh, 
in a minor in one of the minor leagues, they're giving the the umpire a little earpiece that will tell him striker ball, and he just follows suit. So he doesn't even have to do his job anymore. He's just outside of calling safe and out at home, I suppose. Yeah, or watching for box. He doesn't really need to know if it's a strike or a ball. Um, that's already kind of happening. And I, look, I think we're careening right towards that being a reality in, in the MLB. As much as I hate it, uh, we are likely going to have that at some point soon in the future. But I think it's it, it it'll happen slowly, right? And I think it's already happening slowly. Um, you're seeing fans get frustrated with little things about replay here and there, which by the way, they all wanted. I think that's the worst part about this is people are raging at replay. I, I was talking to Jesse in the break about this. I think I talked about this on the show before the Virginia call in the national title game where he knocked the ball out of bounds and the pinky, the pinky gate is what they called it. And they, it, they call it out on the guy's pinky and they gave Virginia the ball back and it, it helped Virginia win the national championship this year. Everyone was raging about how that's not in the spirit of the call. And I'm like, you guys were all just saying a year ago, every call needs to be right. Every call needs to be right no matter what. So pick what you want. If you want every call to be right, you can't be angry about losing the spirit of the game in that one call. Because, yeah, the Virginia guy knocked it out of his hands, but technically... It last touched. I, who, I can't remember who they were playing at this point. What was it North Carolina or whatever? I forget who they were playing. Um, you can't be mad about that call anymore. It's just if you wanted replay that way, you're getting replay that way. Then on the on the other side, if you don't want that, then you you should be happy about that call, right? So the spirit of the game's already being chipped away with all these little things. And it'll keep getting chipped away. Nothing we do will massively alter the way we view the game immediately. But 10 years down the road, all of a sudden, you're going to be like, wait a minute. Baseball was more fun back then. Well, just think about, like, you know, um, things that happened, you know, 10 years ago that won't happen now. And let's say just uh, like college football. Let's take, for example, a moment in Oregon history that possibly helped change um, and the direction of Oregon and to go from a good program to an elite program there for almost a decade in the fact that that, that game against Oklahoma where on an onside kick, they shouldn't have gotten that, that ball back, but they got it because the refs had a bad call. These days, that doesn't happen. But that was a defining moment for that school and that program and helped turn it into what it is today and what it was you know, four years ago. That was a big moment. Those go away. All of a sudden, those defining moments, those those moments that changed a small program and turned it into a big program are gone. And if that's part, like, think of how many moments in history for all different teams, all the different franchises that are like that, where, yes, it was the wrong call, but it was, it, it was a momentous moment for that team, for the other team, for that sport, and those go away. And I think... The other side would argue that an incorrect call is what led to Oregon's, you know, rise, right? Um, Whether it's an incorrect that, call or not, but it, it led to their rise, right? But I think that their argument is would be if I if I'm if I would guess right is, well, you don't want there to be an incorrect call to lead to a school's rise, right? You you wouldn't want that. They they wouldn't want that. I I don't mind because it adds to the lore, right? It adds to the story exactly. It, it adds to the intrigue, and, I mean, it hit, happened against Oregon in the same way, although it was way more borderline of a play, but Michael Dyer, right. was he down? Exactly. Imagine how that changes Oregon. They, they already were at, at a national championship level, but they lost 
both national championships they've been in. They could have won that one. You know, the win wasn't assured if Michael Dyer was right. down, but they could have won the game if they looked at the review and called Michael Dyer down, but they didn't. Nope. They they said they said Michael Dyer wasn't down. On that play, what he ran all the way to what like the two yard line on that play? Can't remember exactly which. I always forget which play it was. You remember his elbow or or arm it almost the, being down the wrist. The wrist. Uh, I don't remember exactly where that play ended. I know it wasn't a touchdown though. But I digress. Um, that play also wouldn't have happened, right? Which right. would have been great for Oregon, but a play that helped him in the past now hurts them. You know, it's it's just sports. Yeah, that's sports. That's the greatness of sports. The fact that that, that nothing's perfect. Yep. That that. that that the refs are flawed, the players are flawed, and that uh, things are going to be um, – that, that are, are going to change the outcome based on a bad call. We saw this in the NFC title game last last year. Yep. It, in reality, it, but what, what – that, that Look, that sucks. I get it. That's a terrible, terrible that was, thing to happen to your team. But it happens. The fact that the Saints were are, like, banning the NFL for it, they're, they're boycotting the NFL – one call you've probably had a ton of wins you probably won your super bowls based on some bad calls right it happens right yes it's egregious oh my god it was terrible and they're putting pass interference review in which oh my god that's going to open some cans of worms right because there's a lot of borderline pass interference on a lot of plays but it that that happens sometimes in sports and guess what in 10 years when you meet another saints fan you're gonna have a great point of conversation about can you believe that ref that missed the pass interference on the Rams player, right? right. It kind of ad- adds a little bit too, even though it took away from your moment in that year. The my final thoughts on this before we move on to hate it or love it is this: all sports need to be improved. There are many things as times change that that lead you to know that sports need to have some improvements here and there. I agree that some replay needs to be in games. Um, it helps get really egregious calls wrong that, that are wrong right. But as you start adding more and more replay and more and more automation into the sports, you will find that you will, I think, enjoy it less and less over time. Stop at the very basic replay. If I know we've kind of gone past that point, but if you want to stop now before it gets too bad, then stop now. And, you know, you can take things out of being reviewable and add things in if it needs to be more review. You know, you can change these things, but... All we're doing is pushing forward with this without thinking about how it affects other aspects of the sport. And that, that, that worries me a little bit. All right. Jesse's got an update here coming up next. Hate it or love it here on The Fan. Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. This text says, uh, Breeze got the ball in overtime in that game and threw an interception. Saints fans, please remember that too. (laughs) That is true. Drew Breeze, there was a couple of other things. Thank you. There was a couple (laughs) of other things in that game that also went against the Saints. You know, calling a passing play. That stopped the clock. Yeah. It wasn't just one play. It was it was a very large play, for sure. Had a very big impact, for sure. But the Saints lost that game in many ways. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, that, that that's one of those moments that 
that you would lose. Now, granted, I, I think that is a moment you can get away with losing, right? I, I think it was – I I personally enjoyed seeing the Rams win, but I, I think that is all – like one of the more – one of the moments you could actually point to where you're like, yeah, Repay should have gotten that one. But at the same time, you can also point to it and be like, they had like three opportunities and they didn't, didn't take advantage. So that's that. Better you today. Text line is 55305. All right. Let's get into Hate It or Love It, where I will finally get on a two-game winning streak because Rashad is out <laughs> by default. You don't need to give me points. We, <laughs> I will win by default. What do you got for us today? All right. Uh, well, um, let's let's stick with the NBA for now. Um, just a lot of weird talk in the NBA revolving around people on the sidelines, on the, on the court. And you think about Drake over there touching the coach, touching players, and touching, 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 touching. You got part owners shoving players, creating kerfuffles on uh, on on the side of the court. And it next thing you know, he's getting banned from his brand new arena for the first year it's opened, and getting fined half a million dollars. And things are getting a little crazy court side of these NBA games love or hate the NBA needs to make guidelines not just for celebrities but anybody sitting courtside well, I'm assuming they do have guidelines but I think the people who are the most famous tend to not be included in those guidelines because they think they're higher or better right. than them uh, the Drake stuff is crazy I mean we've seen super fans before we've had Spike Lee be really vocal on, on the court uh, he, although he didn't always sit right courtside but he would be very vocal and yelling at players and yelling at refs. I mean, what Drake's doing is kind of insane. He stands up and he's rubbing shoulders with Nick Nurse and, you know, yelling at players on the court and getting into it with Draymond Green, even though they're friends. Um, right on court side, that's a different animal because it's Drake and he's Drake, right? Some people don't understand just how massively successful and popular and famous that guy is. And because of that, he can get away with a lot of things. I mean, you can never put your hands on a player, right? I didn't see the play originally, and I saw the headline. Minority owner of the of the Warriors shoves Kyle Lowry when he falls into the stands. And I looked at the play. He doesn't really shove him. He pushes his arm and curses at him, which obviously you can't do. Um, I think a year suspension for what he did is probably warranted. I saw people calling for, you know, lifetime bans, and I'm like, yeah, you should not do what he did. He pushed his arm and he said stuff, which I don't know why he was so angry. Kyle Lowry tried to save the ball and fell into the stands. He didn't even hit his family. His wife stood up or his girlfriend stood up and avoided it all. So right. it was stupid. But I, I, if I'm going to hate or love this, I'll say love, but I'm, they're going to have to enforce it then. Yes. And you've got certain people that aren't getting things enforced, Drake, then people think they can do whatever they want. And they just need to enforce their, their guidelines on courtside seating more, I suppose. But in terms of what happened to the, the Warriors guy, a year is enough for what he did, I think. Don't, I, don't do that, but what he did is not worth a lifetime ban. Don't listen to what Twitter is telling you. He didn't just, like, stand up and fling him backwards and truly shove him. He pushes him. I was honestly fine with what the Warriors did. Just say, you're, you're not welcome here for the rest of the finals. Like I was, I was good with that. I thought it was strange that I think, I think even personally, a year is a little excessive. Um, but it gets the point across. Send a message. It, yeah. it does. It gets the point across. 
I, I guess I, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at Drake over there rubbing his shoulders and hanging out with the players. And, you know, they get on like celebrities love to walk on the court and, you know, at like at at um, intermissions. And you're and I'm just sitting there like this should not be OK. Like like somebody the, the NBA needs to come down on, on one of these celebrities and let them know that you're, you're not part of the team. You're not part of the action and you're not part of the story. That is an interesting text that came in. If he was a regular fan, he'd get a lifetime ban. He should be held to a higher standard than you or me. Lifetime ban. That is probably true. The, the, the regular fan would probably never be allowed back in the arena. I, I can't remember exactly what the injury was, but what was um, the, the Utah Jazz fan that was cursing at Russell Westbrook? Did he have a lifetime ban? It wasn't a thing. I, I can't remember, but it wasn't a thing until like somebody brought it up. Like, well, Westbrook responded to him and yelled at him back. Yeah. Right? That's what that's what made it a thing. Uh, that is a good text. And, you know, it does. I guess it is a really, really valid point that he should be held to a higher standard. But I also view it in, although maybe it's the wrong thing, in this world, people of higher sitting, uh, setting, sitting, setting, standard, whatever the, the word is, people who have a higher place in life, are held less accountable than people who are lower. Well, and that's he he's a part owner. Like you can't ban it's hard to ban somebody from their own business and I honestly don't believe for what he did. I don't necessarily believe a fan gets banned for life either. I think no, I think I, he might. I don't know. I think I, he might. Maybe, but I I just I just look at people on my like, who hasn't shoved somebody in their life. Like I mean, yeah, but you it's, can't you can't touch a player. If you're I, I yeah, that, I understand the, the text. I I but think if right, you right or wrong, people who who are more wealthy get away with more things. Yes, and, and that's true. <laughs> a, a lifetime ban is just absolutely egregious. It's he, he didn't punch anybody and throw beer on anybody. A light shove. I I don't know. I think that was something that's extremely overblown. But they. I don't know what. All right, let's move on to the NFL. We'll move on. Okay. We'll move on. All right, we'll we'll go some Denver Broncos since <laughs> since uh, Rashad's gone here. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got uh, interesting things going on in the Mile High City on the defensive side of things, and uh, a lot of talk coming on this pass rushing duo. Some, you know, think it could be one of the top five pass rushing duos with Bradley Chubb being added to it last year. I believe it. 12 and a half sacks as a rookie last year opposite Vaughn Miller. Vaughn right up there, I believe, at 15 and a half sacks. So uh, leading the NFL as a, as a duo in the top five. Love or hate, Chubb, Bradley Chubb will have more sacks than Vaughn Miller this upcoming season. Hmm. I'll probably say hate on that one. And this is more just because I respect Vaughn Miller's game that much, and I'm not sure that he's going to I'm not sure he's at a point where he's ready to start fading because he's getting older and more experienced. Also, Bradley Chubb proved himself a viable threat, so it's going to be harder to double-team Von Miller on every single play because Bradley Chubb is going to need attention on the other side as well. That That's always the strength of having two great pass rushers is it makes it really tough for the offensive line to commit to one guy because you're just giving it up to the other guy. Right. So I think Von Miller, just because of how good he is, is still going to have more sacks than Bradley Chubb. And also... I do subscribe to the sophomore slump a little bit. Okay. You know, second year, teams adjust to what you do. Teams figure out some of your patterns. Um, unless you are a top of the line, one of the best players in the league at that point, and you're just unstoppable. Von Miller was one of those. I think you'll see a little bit of adjustments made to Bradley Chubb, and uh, he'll have slightly more trouble getting into the backfield this year. So I'll, I'll say hate on that one. Not buying into the Vic Fangio 
hype, huh? No, I am. All right. I just think Von Miller's better. All right. All right. Well, it's just that simple. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. That simple. Uh, we'll do one more really quick. Um, and let, I think this one's kind of interesting because everybody's like crying for Oakland um, uh, to be on hard knocks, right? They want to see this this dumpster fire that is all of these crazy personalities in Oakland on hard knocks. But right now I know this team's not going to be on hard knocks, but I, I think uh, the idea of um, Cleveland Browns being more of a gong show than the Oakland Raiders could be a reality. Love or hate, it will be more dramatic in Cleveland than it will be in Oakland this coming season. More dramatic for the whole season? Yeah, basically like a, you know, a, a circus. Let's let's go. It's going to be more of a no circus way. in Cleveland. I, I I don't see that at all. Cleveland got some big personalities on their team. They got some better players on their team. But because they're better, I think you're going to see less of a circus. The Raiders are not good. And John Gruden so far has done nothing to prove to me that he can help this team get any better as a GM. And it is gigantic 10-year deal. Um, well, only nine years left now. Sorry. Only nine years left now. Um, and as a head coach, I feel like it's – I feel like there's something going on there that's going to be every single week a crazy story of stupidity in Oakland. I feel like we're already getting that this offseason. So, no, I think Cleveland's going to be more stable because they're going to be good. Oakland's not going to be good. See, I feel like uh, we got already got more drama coming out of Oakland with the mini camps and volunteer workouts, you know, because Odell Beckham showed up the first day and then just decided to leave. And Freddie Kitchens is like, what the heck? Where you, where you at? Love to see you here. And he's like, ah, peace out, bro. I'll be back from mandatory mini camp. And it's kind of already what was started last week. Why you say, why is it voluntary if you need to go? <laughs> well, yeah. But why are you showing up for a day and then leaving? That to me, that's. Is that, that not better than showing not showing up at all? I'd rather you not show up. Oh, I would. I, to me, that's that. And there's a lot of young players on that Cleveland team. That's not showing these young guys how to be football players. I'd rather you not show up than come for a day and not not come again. All right. Well, that's hate it or love it. Two wins in a row for me. Coming up next. I want to look at a little bit of NFL stuff, and uh, we'll wrap up the show there. This is Sports Sunday on The Fan. Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Final segment here on Sports Sunday today. Remember, again, you can find the full show on the Les Show Tires podcast afterwards on radio.com app and 1080thefan.com. And uh, Jesse tweets it out from at 1080thefan on Twitter as well. Thank you for the text throughout the show on the Better You Today text line at 55305. Much appreciated as uh, you helped as Rashad was out today. He'll be back next week. I do want to get into a little bit of NFL before we wrap this thing up. You got me thinking, and uh, it reminded me that there was one big NFL story I did not get to on the show today, and that is Carson Wentz's gigantic contract extension. Smart move. $32 million a year, $107 million guaranteed on a four-year extension. I think the total was like 128 mil. And that, with his current deal, makes it an $163 million contract 
uh, if I remember the numbers correctly. But this is this was a very divisive contract when it came out. It was either Jesse's saying smart move or people saying, why would you waste two years of having a great quarterback at a cheap deal to pay him all this money now, right? Because if Well, they you- still get him for the two years left on his contract for cheap. It's an extension. He's, he's on the books for six more years. But don't isn't part of this like a signing bonus that they pay out now and it's on the books now versus keeping them at just those hey, It doesn't go against the cap now. Does it not? No. That was the argument I was seeing a lot of was people saying, why waste the, the value of this by giving him the contract now? But I'm more on Jesse's side of this, and I've always been this way. If you have a good quarterback, lock him down. I know the values are skyrocketing. I know that there's some stat out there that no team has won a Super Bowl with a quarterback making more than a certain percentage of the team's salary cap. That will, I think that will soon change as more and more quarterbacks are making more and more money because that's kind of what the value says, right? You do not want to be stuck with no quarterback. Right. And, uh, and look at our favorite team right now. We're currently in quarterback purgatory as Broncos fans. Right. We're, we're trying everything. We're trying Case Keenum. We're trying Paxton Lynch. We're trying Joe Flacco this year. I'm using we as fans, I should say. The Broncos are trying James Paxton and, and Joe Flacco this year. But it sucks because you have no stability. You have no way of knowing if your team's going to be any good because it's the most important position on the field. And it's hard to find. And it's hard to find. It's super hard to find. You know, the, the media likes to criticize GMs. Why hasn't he found his quarterback yet? Uh, yeah, just just go down to the grocery store, pick one off the, the shelf. You're good to go. Like, they, they, that's not the way it works. There's like 20 real starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So if you get Carson Wentz, number, what was that, number two overall pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. And, yes, he comes back from a torn ACL, a really bad knee injury. And, yes, he's had some injury concerns, had some back injuries as well. But he comes back last year and appears a little bit healthy. Wouldn't you want to sign that guy to a big money deal? Make him feel comfortable? Well, and Make if you take the pressure off? Yeah, you know, let's, let's, go, let's go ahead and look at how these contracts have inflated over the last just three years, right? Every, every quarterback gets the next biggest contract to the point where you're looking at it and you're like, holy crap, it's just going to be a couple of years and you're going to look and the best quarterback in the league is going to be the 12th highest paid quarterback because that's the way it is, right? So when you look at it six years from now, that $32 million that you're paying Carson Wentz, there's going to be a quarterback out there making 40 Or more. Or more. Yeah. And so you're going to be like, wow, he's on a really good deal right now because they they had – and this is, this is a – this is where – it it's a gamble is because you're doing it on faith that at, at this point he hasn't been able to stay healthy as a quarterback but you're gonna have faith that he will from this point on be able to be healthy you're seeing it you're, the steps are taken you you're thinking of what's happened to him at this point more of a fluke than anything and if that if, if and you have the faith that that's that's the case and the best is yet to come this guy was playing at MVP level a couple years ago yeah that's a smart move I think it's a smart move too and like I said, it is interesting to see how they're going to build teams around these big quarterback contracts because it is going to be harder to build a really, really, really good team unless you have a cheap quarterback. Currently the Rams, right? Jared Goff's on his rookie contract, although he'll be up soon for a big contract. They've been able to go for it with all these veterans making big one- or two-year deals because they know they can afford it with Jared Goff. It's going to be interesting to see how the Rams change 
their structure when inevitably they signed Jared Goff to a $35, $40 million a year deal and are not going to have that money to then give an Indomitian Sioux for a year. So we were saying about Seattle. Look what's happened to Seattle. Like, they're still a really good team because they have a top five quarterback in the league. You and take Russell GM. Wilson off that team. What is it? It's it's probably not that, that good of a team, but... But what was it when Russell Wilson was on that rookie deal? It was a great team. It was a great team. Right. It it wasn't all Russell Wilson. It was actually everybody else in a dash of Russell Wilson. But now you also have to have a good front office. The the Seahawks have made this team something again, even with the big Russell Wilson money. Correct. Right? So it's possible to give these guys money and still be a playoff contending team and, hell, even be a championship contending team. Although... I am curious as we keep going with this, we've seen Tom Brady and the likes take less money to help their team, whereas we're not seeing that at all from the younger quarterbacks, which I don't blame them. You're young. Get your big money deals now while you can still get them. Tom Brady's made enough money in his life for five bajillion people. Right. So he doesn't need it and he wants to keep winning. I wonder if these guys making big money on their next deal, who's going to be next up uh, who's already made big money? Matt Ryan, maybe, right? He's already been on this big contract for a little bit. Do you think Matt Ryan takes less money after this big 35 mil a year deal to help the Falcons win? Or does he say, I still want more? I think it's real easy to look over uh, up in Boston and what's going on in there. And, you know, Tom Brady's still making a good chunk of change. But what's coming with that? Multiple rings. He, In fact, he's got so many rings, he can't wear them all on one hand, right? Like, like yeah, that's what happens when you take a few you million less. a picture of the six. Yeah. That was a cool picture. So, I mean, also that's... Also, be very jealous. The, I, and I think you're starting to see that more and more in sports where, fan, like, players are just looking around and realizing, I want to win. How do I get there? Oh, it's taking a little less money. I'm still making a lot of money. I'm still making money in endorsements. Let's make this winning happen. I'll take a few le- less. And and you can let the diva wide receiver make the, the top money, right? Like <laughs> That'll go well for that's, your team. That's what's nice is you have the mature smart individual running the team at quarterback. And typically I think if there's a guy that's willing to take a pay cut, it's going to be that guy. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. Better you today. Text line five, five, three, three Oh five. Thank you so much for texting. You can find the podcast afterwards on radio.com app and tending to the fan.com. Les Schwab tires podcast. If you missed it, Rashad's going to be back next week as we will likely, I imagine have the outcome of the NBA finals at that point. So we will have plenty to talk about there. And uh, the NBA drafts just a couple of weeks away. We'll get to see what the Blazers are planning to do with that. And we'll have plenty more to get to in the NFL, I imagine, as more and more NFL stories have been coming out as we get into OTAs. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.